any children here between kindergarten and second grade may be dismissed to Children's Church, which you can find through the door over here by the piano. As our kids are heading off to Children's Church, I'd invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 744. Isaiah 66 on page 744. As we finish after a year and four months our study of Isaiah this Sunday. Today we're going to be studying Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2. Well, let me read the first six verses just to get a context. Isaiah 66, 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man, and whoever offers a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood, and whoever burns memorial incense like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their own ways, and their souls delight in their abominations. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them, and will bring upon them what they dread." For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Yet they will be put to shame. Hear that uproar from the city, hear that noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Isaiah. Thank you for the joy we have had as a congregation of, of spending a year plus just marinating in the book of Isaiah and soaking it in and allowing Isaiah to teach us more about who you are and how great you are. And Lord God, I pray this Sunday as we uh, finish this sermon series, that you would take the things that you've spoken to us this past year plus, that you would um, wrap them together and bring them to a conclusion in our hearts. Lord, bring to mind the things you've taught us over the past months. May you speak to our hearts again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're watching television, flipping through the channels, and... You come across one of those religious Christian channels, stations, I don't know if you've seen these, and, and uh, it's the beginning of some worship service in some big church somewhere, and you decide to watch it, because it's either that or reruns of you know, Law and Order, so you're like, well, I've seen all those. So, uh, so you decide to watch this show, and, and the first thing that strikes you about this church service that you're watching on TV is how professionally well done the filming is. I mean, this is not like local cable access, some guy in front of a camera and some grainy image. I mean, this is like lighting, sets, 
the, the cameras swoop in and out. It's, it's really well done. It's visually very easy to watch. And the second thing you notice as you look at it is, is how vast the church sanctuary is. I mean, it's just huge. I mean, every once in a while, they'll show you a camera angle from way up in the balcony, and, and you kind of see most of the place, and you look at how many people must be there. And three, four, six, seven thousand. I mean, it's just an enormous room, cavernous. Um, and then the choir comes out, and they are so good. It's probably 200, 300 people, full orchestra. I mean, the musical quality is bar none. It's professional. It's excellent. You're really moved by the music. And then finally the preacher comes up. He doesn't even open his mouth. You just look at him. You instantly like the guy. He's, he's charismatic. He's winsome. He's this kind of compelling figure. And as he talks, he just has an oratorical style that's very easy to listen to and understand. He says to everyone, all right, get out your Bibles. And everyone gets out their Bibles. And then he says, okay, you know, now it's time for the message. And that is the last time during the rest of the program that you ever need to look at your Bible. Because the message he gives isn't really from the Bible at all. It's, it's more like, I don't know, I don't want to say pop psychology because that would be an insult to pop psychology. It's more like, um, it's like a motivational talk. It's like an inspirational, motivational speaker, except kind of sprinkled with God language. So that it feels kind of like a sermon, but you know, when, if you really listen, it's, it's not a lot coming out of the Word. It's just kind of, well, you know, conventional wisdom. All the things we already know, just kind of put in an inspiring package. You know, you can achieve your dreams. You can overcome this. You can do that. And God, when He is referenced, is kind of there to help you achieve your dreams, your things, you, you, you. It's all about me, is, is what the, the message you kind of get. And every once in a while there is a Bible verse flashed up on the screen, but it's, it's very loosely referenced and it's not ever explored or expounded and the context is not developed. The, the message isn't coming out of the Bible, it's more coming out of the, the preacher, I guess, with the Bible sort of proof text along. And the thing is, you, you can listen to it and you might not even realize that's what's happening because the music is just so good and the speaker is just such a good speaker, such a good communicator. And, and the context is so overwhelming with the filming and the size of the room that you might not even realize that you didn't hear from God's Word at all, or just very marginally. And you might not even realize that sin was never mentioned, or repentance, or the cross, or the gospel, and not even really Jesus. Because it's easy when things are overwhelming like that to miss what's really happening. And it is our human tendency, it is my human tendency, to, to look at the externals of religion and to be wowed by those things. Big buildings, big groups, big musical numbers. And something about those things just draws my attention as a person. And I tend to ascribe to those things religious significance, as if real religion is about those external things. But what we see here in Isaiah 66 is that God looks at something completely different. For God, real religion is not found in any particular building or in any ritual or pomp and circumstance. Real religion is found in the heart of the person who trembles at his word. Look at Isaiah 66.1. This is what the Lord says. 
Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. Here we have a picture of God's immensity, God's majestic hugeness, His greatness. He says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. God says, you know, the universe is my lazy boy. Uh, I, I pull up the universe, I sit on it, I you know, put some place to put my feet. Oh, that, that plan will do. He you know, puts the earth and that's his footstool. I mean, it's this picture of his enormousness. Uh, so much for this whole idea of you know, Mother Earth, right? <laughs> Try like Earth as God's Ottoman. That's really what it is. God is, is just great. He's majestic. And not only d- does he sit upon the, the throne of the universe, but he even created the universe. He's so powerful. And even these images are just images. I mean, we know God literally doesn't sit on the universe. These are just word analogies to help us begin to get the beginning of how awesome God is. So that our minds might be expanded to think about His majesty and His glory. And certainly, that's one of the major themes of Isaiah. If you picked up nothing else from the book of Isaiah, you should have heard the greatness and majesty of Creator God. That He is beyond and outside of and above and transcendent over the, the world system of the universe that he created, that, that he is God, he's awesome. And, and if nothing else, we should have gotten the, the awesomeness of God from the book of Isaiah. So that is why it's completely absurd to think that any man-made structure, be it a ritual or uh, a, a musical piece or a preacher or a building, could possibly contain God or even adequately represent God's presence. Look what he says in verse 1. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Uh, Some of you have been to Europe and you've been in the great cathedrals of Europe and England and these buildings are just awe-inspiring. In fact, they were built to create the sense of walking into the throne room of God. That's the point of the architecture architecture, that as you walk into these rooms, it's the sense that you're walking into God's throne and your eyes are drawn upwards over the the soaring uh, rock walls that just go way above you and then meet at the top with stained glass in between and you just look at you think, how do those rocks stay up there? I mean, it's just so amazing. It takes your breath away. And it's easy to walk into places like that and have a sense of being in God's presence. Like, I can really worship God in a cathedral. And, and, you know, there's, there's some truth to that. That's how it's designed to affect us. But then we also step back and say, but can any cathedral adequately contain or even point to God? I mean, really? It's just a little pile of rocks on top of the big rock, which is just God's footstool. <laughs> Where's the house you will build for God? And yet it is our human tendency to ascribe religious significance to external things like buildings, to think that buildings are the kinds of things that, that are where real religion is. Real religion is about the ritual. It's about the pomp and circumstance. It's about the, the building. Apparently that was Isaiah, uh, the people of Israel's problem in Isaiah's day. Of course, in their day, it wasn't a cathedral. It was uh, the temple that, I, that uh, Solomon had built. King Solomon had built this beautiful temple. It was huge. It was gorgeous. It was an architectural marvel. There were huge uh, pillars of bronze out in front of the temple. It was just a beautiful structure to behold. 
But somehow the people thought that by having the temple and by being at the temple, that somehow the temple was the locus of true religion. But that's what true religion was, was being at this building. And it wasn't just the temple, it was also the rituals and the sacrificial system of Israel. I look down at verse 3. In verse 3, Isaiah uh, also criticizes their reliance upon the sacrificial system. He says, but whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. And whoever offers a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood. And whoever burns memorial incense like one who worships an idol. You kind of read that and you go, well, what's going on in this passage? Is God against the sacrificial system of Israel? Is God against the temple? I mean, didn't God tell them to build the temple? And didn't God tell them to do the sacrificial system? So now is God flip-flopping? Is he suddenly against it? No, no, he's not against it. What he's against is, is trusting in the external manifestations of religious life, the institutions, as if that's where true religion took place. And you notice down at the end of verse 3, look at this, he says, they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations. See, the problem isn't that they go to temple or do the sacrifices. The problem is they think that's what it's all about. But God says, you've forgotten my laws. You haven't listened to my word. Because true religion takes place in the heart of the person who trembles at the word of God. That's true religion. That's where it finds its locus and, and meaning. Jesus taught us the same thing. Think of John chapter 4. In fact, let's turn there real quick. I put a bookmark in Isaiah 66. We're going to come back to it. Turn over to John chapter 4. It's on page 1053 in the Pew Bible. And here in John chapter 4, Jesus talks about the, the real locus of spirituality and religion. That it's not in a building or in a ritual or in some other manifestation of religious life, but it's, it's the heart truly worshiping God. And now if you look down at chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is having a conversation with this woman who's a Samaritan. And just a little historical background, in Jesus' day, the Samaritans, who were kind of like half Jew, half Gentile, and the Jews didn't get along at all. I mean, they really held each other in suspicion. There were cultural, racial, political, religious differences that kind of kept them apart. And one of the religious issues was, was where to worship. And the Samaritans believed the proper place to worship was Mount Gerizim in Samaria. The Jews believed it was Jerusalem. The Jews were right, but still, uh, that's not the point. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She's talking to Jesus. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she brings up this debate about where is the right place to worship. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So he's like, look, lady, technically the Jews are right. But it doesn't matter because the time is coming where, where the real meaning of worship is going to come into full view with the coming of Christ and the, the beginning of, of the new era in Christ you know, Jerusalem doesn't matter anymore. You know, Jerusalem is not the focus of God's saving activity in the world any more now than is Beijing or Hingham, Massachusetts. 
It's not geographically centered in one place. The gospel is going to go into all the world. And now, if you want to find real religion, you don't go to Jerusalem to a temple. It's in the heart of the person who trembles at God's Word. Look what he says in verse 23. Yes, a time is coming, Jesus says, and has now come, not some future time, it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father where? In spirit and truth. Wait, that's not any place. That's the point. In spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit. I think that means in the power of the Holy Spirit and in truth, according to God's truth, according to his word, ultimately revealed in Christ. That's true worship. Because real spirituality is not about a building. It's about a heart submitted to the Word of God and obedient to the Word of God. And it's not any particular building. And yet, you know, we get caught up in things like buildings, um, as if buildings were, were what it's about. Uh, you know, New England is dotted with beautiful, white, historic, colonial churches all over New England. And inside those beautiful, white, historic, colonial churches are little congregations who have, it appears, their primary mission is to preserve and venerate the historic, white, beautiful, colonial churches. Uh, you know, they've lost the historic faith of those churches and the founders. You know, when the people who built those churches built the churches, they weren't saying, boy, we've got to build something that's going to be a historic building someday. You know, there's like, they were just saying, hey, we need to worship Jesus. We need to study his word together. And boy, it sure is cold and rainy here in Massachusetts, so uh, let's build a building we can meet in. This is a pragmatic thing. They needed a place to meet. And yet somehow, when you lose that faith, and when you lose the focus upon God's Word as the meaning of faith, and as the center of spirituality, then it gets lost in the external things. It's just a natural human tendency. I think we have to be on the guard for that here at South Shore Baptist Church. Uh, we're just starting a building program um, I'm really excited about it. We really need it. Uh, we're trying to build a new sanctuary uh, to just to house the, the people and to make space for children's ministries and nurseries. And you know, Praise God, we're growing and we need more space. And, and I'm excited about it. In fact, this Thursday, I was just up in New Hampshire. I went with our architect and our building committee and some people from the staff, and we checked out some church in New Hampshire to see how they did their building and you know, what they did right, what they did wrong, what they would have changed. You know, Just ask questions, learn. It was just great. I mean, it's so interesting to, to be involved in these things. But we as a church have to resist the temptation of getting focused on a building. Because there's something about buildings that are just exciting. And it's easy to start making the building the thing. And being fixated on, you know, the, who's the architect? And who's the lawyer? And what's the permitting process? And who's the builder? And why is the builder doing it that way? And how come the walls are that shade of, you know, purple or whatever and, and why, is the, why does the carpet look like this and how kind of wood are you using for the floor paneling and you just all those things are important but you know that's not why we're here as a church is to build a building and the, the building is just a tool to help us do what our mission statement is I, mean, I just I double checked I went back I read our church's mission statement there wasn't anything about a building in it it says South Shore Baptist Church exists to glorify God by worshiping him and by making disciples for Jesus of the people of the South Shore and beyond. And you need a building as a tool to do that, but that's not why 
we're here as a congregation. So I would like, if I could propose this, I would like to make Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, the theme verse for our building project. Where is the house you will build for me, and where will my resting place be? You know, so on all the letterhead and all the correspondence, just put Isaiah 66, 1, so that when you get into a building process as a church, and you start getting hung up on things like, why aren't they using Berber carpet? Who's making the decisions in this thing? This is madness. You know, whatever we get hooked on. Yes, no, Isaiah 66, 1. It's not about the building. That's not where spirituality is, is in a building. Although buildings are important, it's spirituality and religion are truly focused on the heart that worships God and worships His Word. It's not the building. It's not the choir. It's not the praise team. True religion is not about whether you sing Amazing Grace and Rock of Ages on an organ or whether you sing Lord, I lift your name on high with a guitar. That's not the essence of spirituality. It's not whether or not the pastor has a nice tie or a bad tie or no tie. You know? True spirituality is, is not about those things. It's about a heart that honors the Word of God. That's the essence of biblical religion. In fact, look back at Isaiah 66. And if you could, put a bookmark in John 4 now, because we're going to go back to John. But look at Isaiah 66, verse 2. Here's how God puts it. It says, This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I love that phrase. He who trembles at the word of God. It's like that old commercial when E.F. Hutton talks. You know, people listen. It's like when God talks, we should tremble and listen because this is God speaking. True religion, the essence of true religion is a human heart trembling before the word of God. That's it. It's not technologies and best-selling books and best-selling programs and big-name speakers and all. You know, those things are fine. They have their place. But that's not it. That's not the essence of it. You know, we say, wow, when we hear about a church that buys 75 acres of land. But God says, wow, when he hears about uh, some person in a church who's got an issue with someone else and they meet together and talk through the issue because, not because it's fun, but because that's what God's Word says to do. And they just are in a pure obedience to Christ, making peace with each other. That is hard, but that is where God says, wow, because His Word is being obeyed. We say, ooh and ah, when we see a preacher who draws thousands and thousands to hear him every Sunday. But God says, ooh and ah, and a preacher who's in a private room with his Bible open and he's kneeling before his Bible and he's praying, Oh God, how can I preach this? I'm such a sinful man. Lord Jesus, purify my heart. Give me the strength to live this Word. And then Lord, help me to articulate this Word and may Your Word change hearts. That's the one that God esteems. The one who is humbled before the Word of God. 
Because true religion is not about buildings, it's about hearts that honor God and tremble before Him. Unless we worship God in the sanctuary of our hearts, it doesn't matter what we do in the sanctuary at 578 Main Street in Hingham. There's a lot of talk about spirituality today. People are all about being spiritual. But can I give you a biblical definition of spirituality? Here's spirituality. Obeying Jesus and His Word. And if I'm not obeying Jesus and His Word, I'm not a spiritual person. It doesn't matter if I burn incense and do pilates or, you know, whatever. It's, it's not spirituality. Spirituality is very simple. It's obeying Christ and His Word. Doing what He says. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because if I tremble before God's Word, that implies that I'm honoring God. If I really respect and honor and revere God, then I'm going to tremble at whatever God has to say to me. If I do believe that God is the one who created all things, as it says in verse 1 and 2, then I'm going to tremble when He speaks. And so if I say that I tremble before God, but I don't do what His Word says, you know, that's like the husband who's you know, always saying to his wife, Hey, I love you. You're the best, honey. I love you, baby. I'll do anything for you. You mean everything to me. You're my life. La, la, la. But then, you know, she says, oh, that's great. Could you pick up those socks? And he doesn't, you know. And he says, could you help me with this? Because I'm really stressed out today. And, yeah. and no matter what she says, he doesn't listen to what she says. He doesn't take her advice. He doesn't listen to her suggestions. But I love you, baby. You're the world. You know, after a while, you're like, it's not true. And the same thing, if I really worship God, if I mean all these words that we just sang in this wonderful service we just had, and I, and I say amen to what the choir is singing, but then I go home and I don't tremble before God's Word, and I don't live for what God says, you know, it's just all baloney. It's all baloney. We need to be people who tremble before the Word of God. That's real religion. And that's how it's always been. Go back to the very beginning. Go back to the very first story in the Bible, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There was no church. There was no sanctuary. There was no temple. There was no tabernacle. It's just Adam and Eve, no clothes, in a garden. It just doesn't get more basic than that. That's just as basic as it gets. And they didn't have rituals, and they didn't have you know, institutions. They just had the Word of God. God said, Adam and Eve, you guys have the whole run of this place. Knock yourselves out. It's great. Uh, just one thing. See that tree over there? Don't touch. Everything else? Yes. That tree? No. Very simple. And so religion at that point was just about do they tremble at God's word or do they tremble at the word of the serpent and the word of temptation in their own hearts? That's what it was. And of course we know how that story went. That's how the human story has always gone ever since then. But God did not give up. He has introduced His Word into human history, calling men and women to Himself. His Word came again to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to get up. I want you to leave your family, leave everything you know. I want you to go to another country. Where exactly is it, Lord? Don't worry, I'll show you. Just go. And if you do, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you to bless all the peoples of the earth. And so what did Abraham do? He got up and he went. He obeyed the Word of God. Or fast forward to the last panel in Abraham's life, his last great test, where once again the Word of God came to him and said, Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. And it says, so Abraham got up early in the morning, got a fresh start to obey God, didn't want to wait around, and he left with Isaac to go obey the Lord. So both at the beginning of Abraham's life, he was called to obey the Word of God and part and sacrifice his past, And then at the end of life, 
He had to obey the word of God and sacrifice his potential future so that his whole life was sacrificed to God and he was willing to do whatever God said. And that is why in the Old Testament and in intertestamental Jewish literature and in the New Testament, Abraham is the quintessential man of faith. That is why he is held up as the role model of faith because he obeyed the word of God. Or fast forward just one more scene. Now to the time of the kings in Israel and uh, maybe you heard about a king named Josiah. Josiah was a king of Judah. He was eight years old when he became king and, and then uh, you know, he kind of grew up and did kingly things. But the, the country was just a mess. It, it, they were worshipping idols. They were worshipping all kinds of false gods. They had taken in all the practices of the pagan nations around them. And one day they were cleaning out the temple and they you know, back behind some old records or whatever, they found the scroll and they're like, you know, what is this thing? And they opened it up and it was the Torah of Moses. And so they brought this to the king and said, oh, by the way, we found this. And they read it to the king. And inside that Torah scroll were both the commands of God about loving God and not worshiping idols, but also the consequences of breaking God's commands, that God would destroy his people if they rejected him and worshiped idols. And as King Josiah heard this, you know, he was sent back in his throne and his face turns pale and his head goes in his hands and he tears his clothes and says, oh no, we're doomed. We have not worshipped God according to his word. And Isaiah or Josiah trembled before the word of God. He was in awe at the word of God. He tore his clothes and grieved at the word of God. South Shore Baptist Church, do we tremble at the word of God? Is that define our church or not? Have I been faithful in preaching to you the whole Word of God? And more importantly, have I been faithful living the Word of God in your presence when I'm not up here in the pulpit? Does our church tremble before God's Word? Do our Bible studies and our Sunday school classes study God's Word and tremble before it because it's His Word of the King, the Word of the King? Do uh, you married couples live your married lives and base your marriage and your families upon what God's Word teaches? For those of you who are single, do you live your single lives and your dating lives and your free time according to God's Word? If you have little kids, do you read them the Bible? Dads, that's your job. And if it's not no dad in the family, then moms, you have to do double duty. But we've got to study the, the, the Bible with our children and read it to them so that they understand God's Word. And do each of us individually read the Bible on some kind of regular basis? Ideally daily, but I understand how life is. On some kind of weekly, regular basis, do we read the Bible and just let God speak to us and, and listen to what He has to say in whatever way that works out in your life and in your schedule? We need to be a people who tremble before the Word of God. And when we do, when we study God's Word, when God's Word soaks into our lives, when we tremble at His Word and honor Him, we will inevitably, necessarily, become people who tremble at the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be people who love Jesus because the whole Bible is about Jesus. 
whether in the Old Testament looking forward to Him or the Gospels glorifying Him or the Apostles showing the effects of Him, wherever it is, the whole Bible is about Jesus. But not only is the whole Word of God about Him, but He is Himself the Word who became flesh. Go back to the book of John one more time. And go to chapter 1. I had you at John 4 before. Go back to John chapter 1. And look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So right there in John 1, 1, you got the Trinity. Individual persons, but one God. You're like, how can that possibly be? And I always say, I have no idea. It's just the Trinity. It's amazing. It's a miracle. God is greater than we understand. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Now jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. And so as we become people who tremble at the Word, we will always become people who worship and love Jesus Christ. This is true religion and true spirituality, to love Jesus Christ and to do what He says. If you love Jesus and do what He says, you are a truly religious person. And if you don't, it doesn't matter what building you go to and what choir you sing in and what clothes you wear to church. It doesn't matter whether you're in a tie or a blue jeans. All that's irrelevant. Because it's about loving Christ, the living Word of God, and honoring Him. And so we who are in Christ can look back at Isaiah 66 and we can read it this way. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at Jesus Christ. I was practicing my sermon here last night. Sometimes, every once in a while I come here on Saturday night and just try to get my, go over my sermon, make sure I got it. And uh, I couldn't come up with a conclusion. I, up till last night I just had, I had a lame conclusion written. And uh, this isn't it. Um, but anyway, I was... It might be, but it's not the lame one I planned. Um, I was sitting there practicing the sermon and then on that window right over there I heard bang, 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 bang on the window and I was like... Yeah, who is that? So I went over the side door and I opened it up and it was one of the kids from our high school group and uh, he's, a, he's a skater, skate rat, you know. And I, I, I grew up with skaters. I hung out with skaters when I was in high school. Uh, you know, legalized skateboarding. And uh, they, a typical skater, he had like on a hoodie and, you know, a skull on it and some skater, you know, thing. And he had a mohawk and just looking pretty wild. He's like, hey, what's up, dude? I'm out skating around the parking lot. And I was like, hey. So we started talking and just kind of spontaneously, he started sharing with me how he came to faith in Jesus. He said some other kid in junior high invited him to the youth group, and so he started talking about Jesus because, and talking about God because all the other kids were. He said, oh yeah, I believe in God, but you know, he just said it because everyone else did, and you want to fit in, and it's a good thing to say in a youth group. Uh, but, but he realized he, he didn't really believe it. It really wasn't his thing. And, and, and so that started bothering him, that he was kind of lying to God and lying to everybody else, and and then the junior high group went to this thing called the Super Bowl, which, not the, the real Super Bowl, but it's like an outreach event with thousands of kids from all over New England, down to Rhode Island, and 
So he went to the Super Bowl, and he was really presented there with the, the choice. Are you going to follow Christ and love God and love Jesus, or are you going to do your own thing? And he said, you know, I've got to decide whether or not I'm going to keep lying to God and lying to myself, or if this is going to be real. And he says, that's where I put my faith in Christ. And he said, man, my life has changed for the better ever since then. Then he said, dude, I've got to go. And he skated down the ramp. <laughs> I was like, wow, my conclusion came and found me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was thinking, he probably's out there skating around the parking lot and someone driving down Main Street, you know, might have seen this big, beautiful white church and then some, you know, skate rat in the parking lot, you know, falling on his head or whatever they do. And, and, and you know, it, it'd be so tempting driving down the street to be like, wow, look at that church. Look at that church. And is it possible that God is looking down at the same event saying, look at that kid. You know, I see his heart. And this is a child of mine who loves me. And that's what God was smiling at. He didn't even see the church at all.